This is Behind the Curtain at LA Opera. I'm your host, Brian Lauritsen. On this edition of the podcast, I'm joined by Dr. Ed Krupp, an astronomer, researcher, author, and the director of the Griffith Observatory since 1974. Dr. Krupp will be presenting on the intersection of astronomy and opera during L.A. Opera's Eurydice Found Festival, coming up in February. Our conversation in this podcast centers on those themes as well and took place at the observatory shortly after the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing. What do you remember from 10 days ago, uh, marking the anniversary, the 50th anniversary? What sorts of um, emotions were you feeling in that moment? You, you know, for, for me, I, I think it's always exhilaration, just personally, and, uh, and, and good cheer. Uh, the, uh, I, I personally continue to dwell on, on just the extraordinary um, spirit, the human spirit uh, that is, is present there. And you see it with other people as, as well. Uh, there is, in fact, if there were one emotion that I could say I've extracted from the multiple audiences here and the multiple events that we've undertaken, um, is that repeatedly, through the age groups that, that are, arrive here, whether we're goofing around on the north steps with our models or, or actually down in the Leonard Nimoy event horizon with a lecture, uh, very technical, from engineers, but people repeatedly got a sense of participation, even if they hadn't been alive then, and a sense of triumph is probably too strong a word, but the idea that we are in the mix, that, that people had a sense that this is a collective pleasure. Mm. Uh, and, and so people were not cynical uh, about this. People embrace it. And that is a difference uh, if you go back 50 years, because 50 years ago, with uh, all of the activity that was going on with with Apollo and the technological advancement, but it was accompanied by all of the other wild and crazy aspects of the 60s and the 70s, just as our times have all of those uh, wild and crazy things going on, whether they're political or social or whatnot. And, and there was a, a considerable uh, amount of cynicism at the time, there was also a, an ability, which we see present in our own era, even in, in, in greater spades, and that is the ability to grow bored with extraordinary things. Mm. When they are repeated on a mass scale, uh, and, and mass media is, is masser than it ever was, <laughs> but even back then, television coverage, uh, without a, a, uh, an advancing story, a television coverage made each successive Apollo mission seem like one more of the same. They weren't, but we didn't have the ability to figure out what those stories were then and how to tell them in a way that captured uh, the, the, the hearts of people. And as a result, many people did get bored with it and didn't uh, see that it was extraordinary we'd gone to the moon again for gosh sakes and did this there and had this rover driving around instead people saw sometimes a gimmick 
that there was a vehicle on the moon rather than it's a miracle there's a vehicle on the moon. And, and if a fender comes off, it's a wonder a fender ever got there. But, but that's what happens with overexposure, and it will continue to happen. That's also part of the creature that we are. Fortunately, I, I think over time, that we, we, we are also creatures of storytelling. It's how our memory works. And so people will inevitably find their way to a story and manage to reignite imagination. Mm-hmm. Just thinking about some of the parallels between music, opera, and uh, what we're talking about here, and in the worlds of, of astronomy and science, you know, it's always about finding meaning in the unknown. In many cases, finding uh, for being probably a little too simplistic here, but finding things where we didn't know there were things, right? And a composer of music creates something from, if not nothing, you know, a collection of just a few notes. In it, that sort of exploration of nothingness and finding something in the nothingness, to me, I mean, the, those two worlds intersect really beautifully. Certainly that's correct. The idea, I think, has much to do with the perception of new relationships, that whether you're engaged in uh, a scientific enterprise, an engineering enterprise, a musical uh, literature, um, but at the heart, that that creative exploration has to do with the recognition of, of relationships that, that either seem fresh by their new expression or are, in, in fact, new. Uh, and, and reflect some some perception and understanding that wasn't there before, and and that underlying foundation of, of the human brain's probing the world in which it is occupied to try to figure out what in the world is going on, how does this work, where do we fit in, what comes next. I mean, the, 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 we take this kind of thing for granted because it's the creatures that we are, and yet at the same time, if if you look at the evolution of the planet. That this is really kind of interesting that, that we are at this point in the evolution of this speck of rock in space where there are creatures w- with brains that do things that truly are extraordinary, and yet at the same time, uh, we, we take for granted. Well, that's, of course, that's who we are. That's what we do. This is how we get along. But the time that it took this planet to evolve creatures to, to do this, and not just to, to have that understanding of things, but to make it explode in all of the ways that we express ourselves. Uh, I, I, I constantly f- find that a, a, a source of wonder. It also, I, I, I would take all of this a little more personally as well. If, if, uh, if you adopt a genuinely Darwinian approach to nature, and I do, and you say, uh, well, wait, wait a minute, there's, there's really something very clear going on here. Uh, and with astronomy, it's pretty straightforward. So what, what's the point of all of this astronomy? And, and in fact, sometimes it's, it really is a little mind-boggling. If, if you look at, at a typical news website, uh, there is far more astronomy in these news stories strung out one after another that makes any sense whatsoever as far as human beings ought to be concerned. It suggests that there is, in fact, an appetite for this. It wouldn't appear there if there is. So so something's going on with astronomy in the first place then. Well, what is that? Well, it is, in fact, uh, the, the 
endeavor that prompts the big questions. There are other things that do that, but the really big questions uh, come out of the scale in space and time that, that astronomy winds up doing. And, and those big questions then, of, of course, uh, wind up uh, quite naturally uh, in, inspiring wonder. Uh, they are, in fact, the biggest, strangest, oldest, craziest things that we know about. And, and that sense of wonder does then uh, push out the, 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 the momentum of curiosity. And, and, and curiosity uh, is, is, is actually a very precise kind of tool. Uh, it is ultimately working on behalf of accurate descriptions of nature. Uh, those accurate descriptions of nature may be human relationships. In astronomy, we're obviously talking about physical things, but accurate descriptions of what is going on are very important to our brains. And, and those accurate descriptions of nature actually are tools for survival. I mean, the, the brain is doing this on our behalf as a species for survival. And, and so I, I have great admiration, great respect, and even I'm invested <laughs> as, a, as a person. I'm invested because, in fact, I am interested in, in our survival as a species. Uh, how far that goes, I mean, again, you have to have the Darwinian perspective. Uh, it, it, has any uh, species on the planet lasted forever? Of course not. Uh, things, things continue to change. They will change on the Earth over the long period of time. And, and these kinds of inquiries, these, these kinds of exercises in, in, in the arts and the sciences allow us to speculate you know, where we're going, what's the meaning behind this, what comes next. So that's where art and music fits in, in a Darwinian perspective then? For, for me, certainly. And then there's always just the sheer enjoyment and, and the satisfaction of it. And there, there's, a, there's another dimension, of course, because it, this is shared experience for people. And we are, in, in, in fact, a, uh, a social species. Um, we are like ants. We are like bees. Uh, and, and we survive and thrive because of, of those interactions. So it's not just the, 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 the personal uh, embrace of, of these things. It's the fact that you've got all of these individuals who collectively wind up doing one thing after another that captures our attention and propels the next thing. That, that's really what success is, is getting to do the next thing. And, and so uh, you, you have people all over the planet just continuing to make the attempt to have other people be inspired to do the next thing. Do you have a favorite composer or a favorite opera? You know, I, I, I actually do not have a favorite <laughs> composer uh, or a favorite opera. I, uh, I have to consider myself um, too uncritical to, uh, uh, and, and therefore maybe uh, that what that really means is not, not well enough informed to have a, a, a good sensibility about that. Uh, the, you know, over time, you know, my musical education, uh, I suppose like many, uh, but it, it, it came as a, a secondary uh, enterprise in my life uh, and uh, on which I, I grew to depend. But where did I learn that? Well, first, you, you, you learn some things in, in elementary school. Uh, you, you know, I, the uh, Grand Canyon Sweep by Ferdy Grofay is still looming in there, yep. you know. And, and uh, th then over time, uh, and particularly in college, where, where you're coming into contact with so many other people and other classmates, I learned a tremendous amount of 
music from from there and that experience went everywhere you know from from popular through jazz to to, to classical so you, you know where where do I, I i wind up on on that spe- a lot of funny places uh may some of them are idiosyncratic some of them very mainstream the uh, uh the, you know it's it, it's still i mean the, some of the clichés are just still delight me because we have applied them not so much now, but when I was uh, a planetarium lecturer, still in grad school, and the way they did planetarium shows then was by taking uh, classical pieces of music and adapting them to various sequences. And so the music was used as storytelling there, too. And, and we got used to, I mean, some, some, some very wonderful things. There's a, there's a magic in, in the old planetarium of when you're, uh, and you're doing this by hand, not today, where everything is, is far more automated and electronic. But by hand, you would stand at the console, much as you were piloting a spaceship, and you would manipulate the level of the lighting and the stars and all, coming out with a delicacy that, on the one hand, was intended to mimic what nature really does, and on the other hand, was intended uh, absolutely to exceed it. Uh, emotionally, and and the musical accompaniment for those kinds of things had and was intended to have emotional impact, and and some of them, uh, I, I mean, again, highly predictable, but because they work so well, you, I just love to do them. Claire de Lune, you know, it 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 just melted you into the stars. Uh, so, uh, you know, some of my distorted sensibilities about music uh, uh, come obviously from from those experiences as well. And we had an, a, a really terrific uh, opportunity with the LA Opera several years ago when uh, we were asked, uh, like many institutions in Southern California, uh, to do something with, with the ring cycle. And at that point, um, I, I, as soon as this, uh, this proposal came forward, and keep in mind, it came forward uh, not only from the president of, of the LA Opera, but he was also the president of the commission of the Department of Recreation and Parks for which Griffin Observatory operates. It, it belongs right. to. Uh, so that man, I am not going to ignore this man's <laughs> directive. But, it, but I knew that, we could, that, that there was something we could do immediately because we had. Uh, and I had given uh, the first planetarium lectures I gave uh, were morning school shows. That's where you start. Uh, 600 kids, and, and, and you have to learn how to master 600 kids in a room uh, so that it doesn't go crazy. Uh, and the, those planetarium shows were pretty formulaic. Uh, you, you learn the one with the script and the music that was done. But there was always a sequence where we would take the audience up to the Arctic region. Uh, they get to see how the, the sky moves when you get up there. And then you get up there and we bring on an Arctic landscape so that everybody has the feeling it's cold because you're in the Arctic. Uh, and, and then... Just because it was a good trick, uh, we wound up uh, using that opportunity of being in the Arctic to do a display of the Northern Lights, which, of course, kids in Los Angeles are never going to see. Well, that was my first uh, opportunity, not only to see how in the world you do this in a planetarium show, but what do you do from the soundtrack perspective? And, of course, what, what you do is 
Ride of the Valkyries because th- this is the, the the tradition of of the lights being the, shining off the armor of the Valkyries as as they are descending to the earth to pick up the souls of the slain warriors. So I knew that that Ride of the Valkyries, right off the bat, whatever else we did, we had Ride of the Valkyries, and that is the kind of music that makes everybody sit up straight at the first note. You you hear that and y- your attention is is focused. So we actually produced then a, a planetarium show uh, built around uh, the Wagner's music for the, the, the ring, selecting pieces here and there, and wound up telling a tale not only about the Northern Lights, but really, and here is the trick, about the connection between the Earth's sun, something most people don't think about, don't even know about, and yet is a profound aspect of our existence here on earth and and did that all with the music of Wagner and the metaphor of the Valkyries so just a delight and and my heart's with that ever since yeah yeah oh that's great that's great um but you know talking about knowledge of of classical music this is you know I live my life in the world of classical music and I get so frustrated with people who really are pushing the narrative that oh you've got to know a lot in order to really appreciate this music and I just want to say, no, you don't. No. no, you don't. And it's the same with astronomy. I mean, you, you talk about, like, um, I don't know if this is the right term, but public astronomy mm-hmm. um, and making this scientific world accessible to as many people as possible. That's what you do here. Like, you don't have to know a lot in order to be moved by it, in order to appreciate it. I think the parallel is very clear. And you've invoked the image of public astronomy, which is, of course, what Griffith Observatory always has been about, what Colonel Griffith intended when he he left money to build this place. Not a research facility, but public. And what that really means is putting people eyeball to the universe. That is direct, immediate, personal experience. So eyes on the telescope, eyes on the sun brought live down, instruments throughout the building that in real time are giving people authentic, real experiences. Well, what happens in in music? It is, in fact, real sound coming to real ears in real time, personally. And it is that immediacy of of that experience that, that ignites the the aesthetic response as, as well as the interest okay what else can i do what else can i hear what does it mean where did this come from uh, all of those questions are secondary but they wind up evolving just as with astronomy uh, a person who gets a first look through a telescope sees saturn's rings that person is likely to wonder what in the world those are made out of how in the world do i get to get this view what happens next? Oh, is there a spacecraft? And it's not everybody. Each person has a different and personal opportunity to be enchanted by that. And I think that's absolutely the case, as you just made, with music. Mm-hmm. We're speaking at the end of July. I know February is a long ways away, but um, you're going to be presenting uh, at LA Opera during the Eurydice Festival. Do you have any idea what um, what you're going to talk about at that Point or are we too far out from it? No, no. Of course, of course, we have some idea. The, the uh, in fact, it's just a delight. Uh, and and when it, it was first brought to my attention that this was a theme uh, that was was being undertaken, uh, it, it was sort of like that sensibility about Ride of the Valkyries and Wagner for uh, d- doing something. And and the first thing that that comes to mind 
if you're talking to me about Eurydice, you're talking to me about Orpheus. If you're talking to me about Orpheus, you're talking to me about Lyra the Harp. In fact, in this season, right now at the end of summer, Lyra the Harp is right straight over our heads just as it's getting dark. And, and it's one of the classic constellations bequeathed to us from the ancient Greeks. And you might say, well, okay, so what? We've got a story, we've got a myth, yeah, we got Orpheus, we got Lyra the Harp up there. What's that got to do with anything? It's got everything to do. That harp, which was invented, designed by the god Hermes, had seven strings originally. That's not a mistaken number. Those seven are the celestial seven, and among them are the seven planets, the planets to the ancients, which was the sun and the moon. This leads to the whole business of, by the ancients, thinking of the cosmos as a metrical pursuit. They saw astronomy as part of the same endeavor as epic poetry, lyric poetry, uh, music, uh, and, and all of the other muses of the nine that by the Roman era that conceived. So this is an interesting point. Astronomy conceived as a metrical pursuit and directly linked to Orpheus and who he was and what he was about. That's uh, going to be very easy and pleasurable to have a chance to get to do that. Excellent. And that'll be part of the Eurydice Found Festival um, in February. Yeah. Finally, um, I just want to thank you for your time. Um, and if you don't mind, as we wrap up, could you please describe your tie? <laughs> I have the, uh, the tie today uh, is the moon. Uh, and it is an uh, a, a image of the moon. It's a, it's a detail. So it's, it's sort of like you're taking the surface of the moon and blowing it up and then taking a little bit of it and making a tie out of it. And there are a bunch of words on there that indicate where various landers or colliders, in the case of ranger, wound up hitting the moon or, or, or setting down on the moon. So this is an Apollo, uh, a, a nod to Apollo and, and the other lunar explorations, but it is really only today's incarnation. Uh, as the director of Griffith Observatory, I have found myself obliged to wear an astronomical tie uh, every day, and, and I do, and it's kind of you to ask. <laughs> do you have a favorite? You, you know, the, the heartbreaker is that the favorites, I mean, they they disappear, as I guess favorites should. Sure, I had favorites. They have worn away. <laughs> and and I'll, I'll tell you right now, there there is one that I really do like, and it is wearing away. Uh, and it is not as astronomical as this one. It is very, uh, it's much more a nod to, uh, to modern art. Very bright, singular colors uh, with uh, star, big star shapes. It's highly geometric, and you've got oranges and greens and, and stuff in, in blocks of color going down there. It is clearly astronomical, but it is unmistakably striking, and it is, in fact, going into the box soon where the ties that fade away must go. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks an awful lot. A pleasure to get to talk with you.
Dr. Ed Krupp is an astronomer, researcher, author, and he's the director of the Griffith Observatory and has been since 1974. Dr. Krupp will be presenting on the intersection of astronomy and opera during L.A. Opera's Eurydice Found Festival coming up in February. There's more information about the festival at laopera.org. This is Behind the Curtain at L.A. Opera. I'm your host, Brian Lauritsen. <laughs>